0: Today, I am speaking with Mitsuki Nishimoto, who was born in Hiroshima. Oh, we had talked about this, mm-hmm. that I said Hiroshima, but you, she says Hiroshima, Japan. Uh, she grew up in New York City, and she's majoring in Asian Studies and minoring in Psychology. And Mitsuki is co-president of the Asian Students Association and is on the Residential Life Head Staff. So, hello. Hi. We are sitting outside on a really just perfect day. yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're sitting outside on the quad, so you may hear the bells or people (laughs) walking by. And um, we are going to be talking about three questions. Um, What's most important to you? What does a liberal arts education mean to you? And what do you wish your professors knew about you? So I'll make sure we get through all of those. And we'll start with what
1: is most important to you? okay so I spent some time thinking about this question and I feel like it really depends on the day depends on how I'm feeling um sometimes I'll say and most times I'll say something like family Mm. um and the people I'm close to and then sometimes I'll say my education um and I feel like sometimes do- those two things can conflict with each other mm. um, which I can talk more about yeah. and also I think overall and this is something I'm realizing now I want to work on is I want my happiness to be important to me
0: mm.
1: which is something I've never really thought of I've always questioned like what is happiness um, but I've never yeah. really been able to find it for myself um, so I'm working on that do you feel you, you've never been able to find your happiness? No, I think I would describe myself as overall a very happy person. Um content. Maybe not like ecstatic all the time mm-hmm. or like particularly <laughs> enthusiastic, but um I think I'm content. But I think about that and I'm like, well, am I am content, but am I happy? And how can I be happy? with myself and the things I do. So
0: what does that mean to you? Do you know what that means to you? Because you said you've yeah. you spent some time trying to figure out what happiness mm-hmm. is. So what would that look like or feel like yeah. for
1: you? Um, and I'm definitely still trying to figure that mm-hmm. out. I feel like um, a lot of people I'm very close to, um, for them happiness is the activities that they do for themselves, whether it be a sport or an instrument mm-hmm. or um, some, some academic topic they like to Mm -hmm. pursue um and that brings them happiness but for me it's usually about um and I I sound very like I don't even know what the word is like maybe not narcissistic but like very self-absorbed when I say this but like helping people and doing things for others I think that's what makes me happy
0: (laughs) I think almost every spiritual tradition yeah talks about service to others Mm -hmm. as the source of happiness yeah so I don't think it's narcissistic I know. to say... I mean, do you think it's narcissistic because you're worried that you're saying I've got so much to bring others and so yeah, or look like, at me? Mm-hmm.
1: Or the whole notion of kind of service and helping people where okay so I'm helping this person but also it's bringing me happiness and so am I doing it for am I truly mm. doing it for someone else or am I doing it for myself right and this is also a very Kantian question right
0: like, yes. is <laughs> quest, like can it count yeah. as doing you know uh, mm-hmm. something good if it yeah. if it also brings you pleasure exactly yes yes um mm-hmm. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm in the like <laughs> I'm in a, a much more like Aristotelian <laughs> camp where it's yes, we do pleasurable things mm-hmm. because they bring us pleasure and those pleasurable things are good you know there's yeah. goodness yeah. in those pleasurable mm-hmm. the, like, that's why they're good and pleasurable yeah um, definitely so Have you had some experiences of um, oh and this really annoying noise just started yeah we're going to walk and continue this is the first time ever on the podcast that there has been actual walking by two people oh, wow. on this podcast we're going to walk away from this annoying <laughs> piece of construction that sounds like someone is grinding mm-hmm. a piece of metal let us walk away all right so have you had any experiences where you felt Like, um, that's a golf cart going by now, Um, um, where you feel like you have had that
1: kind of happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's really in a lot of the extracurricular activities that I do. Mm -hmm. So, um, you just mentioned that I am on the Asian Students' Association. That's something I've done um, since my first year at Bowdoin. Um, This year, I'm new on the Residential Life staff. Um, are you new to the res- I residential? Life? Did
0: you and Walter decide to do that together? No, or? he's not on Res Life. Oh, wait, he's not on Res Life. in, he's, R- he's in just, admissions. Oh,
1: no, you know Ryan, who it was? Ryan. 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 Uh-huh. Did you treat, are you friends with Ryan? Did um, you two well, like, decide to do that? I heard a little bit of podcast, um, yes. and, yeah, I saw him at, like, we did staff training for yes. two, two weeks. Yes, because
0: it's and unusual for a senior mm-hmm. to join it Residential is. Life staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did I write your recommendation? I wrote Ryan's, I but I don't think, think so. I did for you. Yeah, I think I, I yeah, asked for other things. But okay, you asked for me that. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was just like, oh, I didn't remember. And maybe you know, I'm not sure. I knew that you were yeah. on it. So, do yeah. you wanna, does this seem good yeah, to you? Yeah, this is good. Okay. All right. Now we're sitting. Um. Now we're sitting. So, right. So, and and it's interesting. So, you listen to Ryan's, mm-hmm. and his was about service mm-hmm. to others, right? That that's what he wanted to give. Yeah especially I think to people who made him feel comfortable when he mm-hmm. came to campus and yeah um, to
1: be honest I didn't get through the whole thing yeah <laughs> yeah yes yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so that was definitely also another reason why I wanted to join Res Life because a part of like giving back um, and that's really been um, what I want to do with my life also like with my and talk going back to education um, and how I find that really important like I want to use that education to give back or um, I was in PrEP for PrEP um, and I would want to give back to this organization. I want to give back to the schools that have supported me. Um, Can you talk a little bit about PrEP for PrEP? Because I'm not sure everyone knows what that is. Uh So PrEP for PrEP is um, an organization based in New York City um, that helps low-income minority students um, in 5th or 6th grade um, for the day school program get into um, independent schools in the New York City tri-state area. And so prep for prep has two components. There's the day school component, which I just described, and then there's, they have a boarding school component, which starts later in middle school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And
0: so what, what kinds of things did prep prep, prep do for you?
1: Wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> well... Like, without PrEP or PrEP, I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you right now. Where do you think Um, you'd be? Well, I would definitely be in Japan, um, Mm. because um, my parents actually, so, on my parents, my dad um, came to New York in his 20s to pursue grad school, and my mom and my dad had known each other in high school, and they got married in their 30s, Um, and my mom had been a teacher for 15 years in Japan, and then she came over to New York to to have kids and have a family, And so um, my mom never really got used to New York and America, like still to this day. She has not really learned a lot of English because she's never worked and she doesn't really plan on it at Mm -hmm. this point, really. Um, And so by the time I got to fifth grade, we actually were going to move back to Japan. Um, Oh, wow. And that was where home was for um, both my parents, but more so definitely for my mom. And I was very close to my grandparents on my mom's side growing up. And my mom wanted me to spend, wanted me and my sister to spend time with them, and so, like I would have definitely, I would definitely be in Japan, maybe wow. at a university, um, if I hadn't gotten into prep for prep. And the reason why they decided not to go back was because I got in in fifth grade. Wow! At the end so of this, truly school.
0: transformed yeah. not only your life but your family's mm-hmm. life, yes. or ch-
1: or at least um, changed the course mm-hmm. of your family's life. Yeah. And this was, go- like, going to private school, going to a place like Bowdoin was not something that they thought I would do at all. Um, like, they knew a little bit about the like the public and private school system in New York City, but their plan was, so they moved to the Upper East Side of Manhattan because they knew that's where the good public schools were. Uh-huh. And so they could barely afford it, but that's where we were and that's where we still are. Um, and so their plan was, so I go to public elementary school, I get into a good middle school, I get into a good high school, and I'll go to, like, a relatively okay Maybe state school, mm-hmm. and I think that was their plan. <laughs> the bells. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Okay. We're good. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and how did prep for prep? Now it sounds funny because it's Prep for Prep, but mm-hmm. how did
1: Prep for Prep, prep. prepare uh-huh. you, prep you, yeah. um, for being here? Right. Um, so when I talk about a Prep for Prep, I talk about it um, in terms of social, cultural, capital. Um, and I think with a lot of programs like Prep for Prep um, that prepare you to go to a private school and also beyond, that really is their main focus, even though that's not what they say when they're talking about the mm-hmm. program. Um, and so, um, first of all, they prepare you for fourteen months. Um, so there's a big academic component to uh, it. So from fifth before to sixth you grade, even go, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh-huh. So starting my summer um, after fifth grade, and my sixth, my entire sixth grade, and then my summer after sixth grade, I went to basically a second school, um, where I read, I read um, Black Boy, I read Midsummer Night's Dream, I read um, uh, Things Fall Apart. Basically, things that like probably as a fifth grader, I did not understand at all, (laughs) Um, and that was yeah. yeah. Until you just said that, I
0: couldn't even. I was like, oh, these sound like great things, but I hadn't
1: been thinking about this is a Mm -hmm. fifth grader reading these books and usually like one book maybe two weeks or one book a month, and so they really prepare you um, for the academic part, and also because I was lucky enough to have gone to a very good public school elementary school, Mm -hmm. um, I felt that that transition wasn't that. Um, huge for me, but I know as a program, the academic part is so difficult. and a lot of people end up leaving the program because of how difficult mm-hmm. it is, just emotionally, mentally, it's time consuming. Um, it's a lot for families to have to support their kids going through the program. Right. Um, so I was very lucky to have parents who wanted this um, for me and was fully behind me um, in like every step of the way, even when I wanted to drop out. Um, and so, basically, once I got to my private school, I felt academically prepared, um, I was ready to jump into classes, um, and because most of the prep or prep instructors are also teachers at private schools, um, I felt like they were trying to model what a private school classroom would be like, right. um, and because prep or prep is supposedly, you know, the brightest students in right. you know, New York City, um, I felt like I was surrounded by this like intellectual curiosity and um, I loved, I loved prep or prep, mm-hmm. like, academically. And so, and I've always loved school. Like, that's always been a part yeah. of my personality. Um, and so coming into Spence, where I went for uh, for middle and high school, um, was a very smooth transition in that sense. And also because I had, and so these, this notion of social and cultural capital that I just talked about have kind of been ingrained in me since for forever. Um, so my did parents... They, did they, did they, sh- did uh, prep for prep share with you that those constructs? No, never. never. Right. Yeah, this was something I actually probably learned in your class, maybe. Mm. Social and cultural <laughs> capital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Ed 101. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so because um my parents had chosen to live on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which, um, for those who may not know, is really the 1%, mm-hmm. um, where the 1% reside. Um, and So I had kind of already been comfortable in that environment, and my parents made sure I kind of knew these cultural cues growing up. So we would go to the Met, um, the museum, Mm -hmm. um, like every weekend. Like that's where I spent most of my like that was my backyard growing up, and I feel so privileged being able to say that, Um, or like Central Park and all of these different institutions in New York City. Um, My parents made sure that I was exposed to from a young age, and things like vacationing. all of my friends, um, who also lived on the Upper East Side would be like, went to the Hamptons for, you know, my country house, um, for the weekend or like, oh, I went to the Bahamas. Did I you at least to, get an invite on this? Yes. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: and so that gave you additional insight exactly. into that world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this was uh, like invites to the Hamptons were more in um at Spence in yes. middle high school, but I definitely knew what that was. And right. to know what that is is definitely capital um, social and cultural capital Absolutely. in many different ways so that's why because I had been surrounded by that for since when I was very little um you know I took things like piano lessons because my mom wanted me to like have that kind of you know cultural knowledge um and so going into Sp- a place like Spence for people it's where the people around me also were similarly um growing up in that kind of environment with their families obviously to a different degree because um my family is very low low income mm-hmm. um, would definitely be classified as low income so mm-hmm. even though from the time I was little I had that kind of conscience of where mm-hmm. um, this consciousness of what my my financial status was um, I knew not to talk about it I knew to like kind of pass when I entered into certain mm. environments suspense was very easy for me like tra- um, transitioning into it um, and so and and I think because of that transitioning to somewhere like Bowden was also very easy because, Mm -hmm. to be completely honest, I'm surrounded by very similar people as I was Mm -hmm. um, in high school. And Bowdoin is a lot more diverse in some ways, but Mm -hmm. also a lot less diverse in other ways. Talk about that. Yeah. So I feel like because I had... I feel like I've always had these, like, two lives, where my one life is, like, my family and also Prepper Prep. Um, So identifying as... um, a child of immigrants um, growing up i guess second generation asian american and um low income and in that sense i was able to find some sense of family in prep or prep but also being asian american mm. i was i felt like i was never fully accepted um i felt like there was always like oh you're not um you don't identify as black or or latinx so you can't you don't understand um and it's true like i didn't because we're everyone is different (laughs) but especially because i feel like in america asian americans are seen as this like model minority Mm -hmm. um or we're successful wealthy etc i felt like um that's kind of a universal Mm -hmm. belief and so um even when i was in places where it was predominantly students of color i didn't feel i felt like i was kind of in between and then Mm -hmm. at the same time when i was with my white wealthy friends um either, you know, in, in my school, um, whether it was at my elementary school or Spence or in other spaces, um, I also felt kind of not welcome or not really myself mm. there mm-hmm. um, because of my other aspects of identity, which I, and even though I kind of passed for a really long time, this notion sort of passing. Yes. Um, I think may, maybe other Asian Americans can identify with. Um, once I got to Bowdoin, I felt like I was still doing that, but then at a certain time, I was like... I can't do this anymore.
0: So what was that What was that like for you? To, yeah. to move from a place of passing mm-hmm. to say, I'm not going to pass it. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I've been reflecting on that now that I'm a senior where that transition really happened. Yeah. And I can't really identify like this was the incident or this was the event where I felt like I had to speak up. Yeah. Like I felt like that hadn't happened. I think maybe it was... Like, being away from my family and being away from home in many different ways and being in a totally different place, I kind of had to create my own identity, a new kind of identity Mm -hmm. here. Um, And with that, I wanted these kinds of other, these aspects of my identity that I had previously kind of suppressed to be, to kind of become more a part of who I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So in that sense, going back to happiness, I think, like, being you know, more open and being more accepting, I guess, of those aspects of my identity has contributed a lot to my happiness. Not to say that I was unhappy growing up, and I think my mom really, like, resents herself for that, um, because I talk to her a lot about race and gender, ethnicity, just everything like intersectional identities, and she doesn't really understand um, as um, someone who identifies as Japanese, um, not Mm -hmm. Japanese-American, she is very Japanese. Um, and so she feels like she's never had to confront those kinds of issues mm-hmm. about identity. Um, and so what was I saying? Oh yeah, so she feels like because, you know, we she made this decision to move to America, I have to these like I always have to be thinking about my identity. I and understand. now when I go home I talk about like you know, socioeconomic status, I talk about being a woman, I talk about being a woman of color, and she's just like, I'm so sorry that you have to experience this, like, you must be so unhappy, and I'm just like, mom, no, you don't get it, like, <laughs> I'm actually a lot more happy now, but right. to say I was, you know, not happy before. I hope you can take my education
0: in human condition. I really out. want to. Because we talk about, does education bring unhappiness? mm mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Yeah. And so, and is it worth being unhappy? Oh, uh, yes, and I really so, don't take it. So, <laughs> yeah. so I want you to be there to talk about this. Yeah. Is that the piece where you said um, there is some, te- you know, that education has created tension with your family? Is mm-hmm. that the source of the tension? Or is there something
1: else? Yeah.
0: So. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that to diminish it. That's a no. very significant mm-hmm. piece. But I just wanted to make sure that yeah. we talked about that. Yeah,
1: it, definitely. Um, so my dad was the only one, I think. He has three siblings, and he's the only sibling to go get his bachelor's degree. So I think he, my dad was okay. a first-generation college student, and he went to a very good university in Japan, like probably the equivalent of one of the Ivy Leagues mm-hmm. here. Um, and so he was kind of this, like... I don't know, like, trailblazer for his family. And then him coming to America to pursue a graduate degree, even though he didn't end up getting his master's, just the fact that he came here for education was also, you know, huge for him and his family. Um, And my dad's family is um, atomic bomb survivors. Like, he did not grow up um, with money at all. Um, And so coming from that, he and I have had kind of similar experiences because he was kind of the first in his family to to do something with education, um, meanwhile, my mom um, got her associate 's degree and was a teacher for twenty mm-hmm. years, as I said mm-hmm. um, and so for her she 's always value- valued education um, because that was her profession, and that 's what she wanted for her kids. but um, she herself was not as educated as my yeah. dad um, and so both for both of them, education has been like the most important thing for them for my sister and I, mm-hmm. um but at the same time, so my dad comes from my dad's family's not very educated, um, and my mom's side of the family also is not very educated um as in like and when I say like not educated, I mean like not having gone to college or not getting a degree, which kind of you know I don't know where mm-hmm. to I don't know if that's how I right. want to categorize it right. um, because. Yeah, and it's weird because I'm talking about my family now, and it's like I'm referring to my family as uneducated, um, and it feels weird to say that, but that is kind of what the reality is, um, and so I'm not a first generation student. Um, I'm a first generation s- student who has gone to American college. I'm the first in my family mm-hmm. to go to American college and, po- and possibly graduate right, from So one. none of right. So yeah. neither of your parents know knew how to help you navigate no, this experience. not at all. And right. so um, when I go back home and I try to tell my mom, like, what I'm studying in college, especially as an Asian studies major, where when I, I think when I made that announcement, my mom was just like, so you're studying yourself? Like, how would you not know about, you know, like, what do you not so know about Asian for, culture? So,
0: so for those, and there are people with yeah. many
1: degrees mm-hmm.
0: who might say, why would a Japanese-American woman mm-hmm. study Asian studies? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that choice? Yeah,
1: um, so I actually came into Bowdoin as a neuroscience um, major. I wanted to pursue neuroscience because I thought that would um, be lucrative, even though I didn't want to be a researcher. I don't know what I wanted to do with that, but I wanted to do neuroscience. And then um, my freshman year I took... Uh, Asian studies course and I was like oh this is cool but this will be something I'll do on the side as like an interesting. interest thing we talked yeah. about this didn't we had uh-huh. a kind of
0: long conversation about yeah. this one time I think Yeah. Okay.
1: and I knew I wanted to be in education I wanted to do education in some way so I was an education minor so I kind of went on Bowdoin mm-hmm. until last year as a neuroscience Asian studies double major with an education minor <laughs> and then I got to a point where I was like and again with happiness I was like neuroscience makes me really unhappy um, like I'm not happy in my classes um, I feel like I'm not really like Fulfilled intellectually, so I should probably pursue something else. And so, um, I ended up choosing to just to to do. Actually, so I was psychology and Asian studies because I found that psychology interested me more. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, again, last semester I was kind of I got to a point where I was like, I'm not that happy in my psych classes. Mm. Um, And so now, um, I've made the decision to be an Asian studies major. And for that to kind of be what I'm pursuing for the rest of the year yes. and possibly beyond um, and so that kind of came out, the interest in that kind of came out of my own identity and wanting to learn more about my background, my identity and try to figure things out for myself but also hopefully like contribute to some kind of scholarly I don't know, discussion mm. about something that goes beyond just like personal identity um. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now we're gonna get some extra bells because it's mm-hmm. yeah, the hour already though, I think. The president is walking by too. Gosh, I think the President Rose is walking by. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's it. Is
1: that him? Oh, no, know. that's not him. <laughs> that's his doppelganger. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, that's not him. Yeah. Um Interesting. How does that is, yeah.
0: how um How does Asian studies fit into how you understand the liberal arts, Mm. or what a liberal arts education means to you?
1: Yeah, I think um, this is the title of your um, podcast, but I think I truly embody the liberal (laughs) arts um, in the sense that I did kind of come with this like very one track like this is what I'm going to do with my life, and then because. I was at a place like Bowdoin. I was able to explore these different interests. Um, that I, and I think going back to what I was saying about when that kind of like moment where I became mm. more like interested in my identity and like more comfortable with my identity, I think it may have been my decision to be an Asian studies major. Um, because that's something I had never ever considered before coming to Bowdoin. I didn't know what that was, like that wasn't a program I looked into before coming. Um, like when I was visiting colleges, I was really only looking at their science and maybe psychology programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when I took that first class in Asian studies, it was in um, Asian literature, um, in Japanese literature specifically. Mm. Um, Who's teaching it? Um, Janthy Selinger. Yeah, she's awesome, she's my advisor. Um, I've loved all of her classes. Um, She, yeah, so I think that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh wow, like this. Um, And so I think that's what the liberal arts gave me, um, kind of a sense to pursue what I wanted, um, like for my, that pertained to myself and my identity, but also what I was saying about contributing scholarly, whatever, Mm -hmm. like from an academic point of view, like what that means. Um, And so, like, if I didn't go to a liberal arts school, I don't think I would have found that. I would have, like, grown as a person and also as an academic. Hmm. Yeah. And that, again, going back to my family, that was really difficult for my parents to hear, like, the switch from this very practical degree to Asian studies. Um, And also, when I was applying for colleges, my mom especially was like, what is a liberal arts school? yeah um, and I'm sure a lot of other um, like students may have also like um that response from their families who right may have not known as much about the American education system but there was very much like why would you go to a liberal arts school over a university like what can that do for you right um, and I think back then I was very defensive and I was like <laughs> I want small classes and relationships with my professors um, and that's kind of what I thought was a liberal arts school I was like and and can be part of it yeah exactly but then being here and actually going through this kind of transformation for myself I think that's when I realized like wow this is truly what a liberal arts school is and I'm so glad I'm here Hmm. yeah
0: I want to ask a question of you that I want to ask because I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to ask someone this Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't have to answer it Okay. Um, what does it mean to be Japanese American um, descendant of a- atomic bomb survivors?
1: Hmm. What does it mean to you? Yeah. You're right. Not right. I, right.
0: Right. I'm not asking for a mm-hmm. sort of what you've studied and. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and to be Japanese-American specifically, Mm -hmm. um, I think, is an interesting, like, aspect of that. Um, So my grandma actually, who was affected by the atomic bomb and was about, like, a mile away from the center and, like, was very much on the verge of death for about a year um, after the bomb. She actually grew up, she was born in America. Um, Yeah, so technically, so I am a second-generation American, but I'm also technically, like, fourth or fifth. So my great-grandfather on my dad's side came over to the U.S. Um, in the 20s and kind of settled, had a farm, was fairly successful, had all my my, my grandma and, his, her and her siblings. And then the Depression hit, mm. and so they were like, okay, we're going to move back to Hiroshima. Um, and, and in some ways, mm-hmm. the
0: gift... Give- that was a gift because then they yeah. avoid I mean exactly. well I mean right. I don't know what the, yeah. what's the exactly. answer right then they avoided <laughs> internment yeah, and exactly. then there's
1: ugh, yeah so it was then just then the bomb exactly so yeah um, and so because I think my grandma has this connection to America and also because of that my dad was able to become an American citizen because got it her I was sp- curious yeah. I didn't want to ask mm-hmm. that yeah
0: I, I don't usually ask mm-hmm. those kinds of questions yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was curious how he was able mm-hmm. to just Come over, come over, but then not mm-hmm. complete the degree. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So,
1: yeah. So, I actually found that out very recently. Huh. Like, I was doing a project... It's like another thing. I was doing a project for one of my classes that was basically, like, track your history, your family history mm. um, and, like, write a paper on it. And wow. this is when I found out all this, this stuff that I was Whoa. actually... Yeah. You know, not just I mean, the second in generation. So, in some ways, it brings you closer to your family. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah. And so... My grandma actually has this really special connection with um, America and she mm. and her, all of her kids except for one has lived here at some point. So my aunt lives in Hawaii and my okay. grandmother's younger sister lives in Hawaii and she's been there like forever. Um, and my uncle was in New Jersey and, you know, we're in New York City now. So because of that, I, while I was growing up, I would ask my grandmother about like, oh what was it like Mm. to be a atomic bomb survivor and she would never say anything that was like oh I resent America so much or like I like you know she never said anything along those lines Mm. That was like I'm so mad at America um, for doing that she was always like she's she's very much like a pacifist peaceful person Mm. Mm -hmm. so I never felt like those two parts of my identity were in conflict I feel like it's very easy to be like oh I'm Japanese and American and like just like bringing nationalism in and just being like, oh, like those two don't go together. But I feel like because um for I was like told from when I was young that you know, there was no reason for those two identities to be in conflict. Right. I never felt that way. Got it. Um so I feel like there is definitely like this like really rich family history but I also don't know all the parts to, and, and I'm and i recently becoming more interested in, like, what it means to be a atomic bomb survivor. Uh, uh-huh. Because there are still many still alive, but also many that most that are passing away. Right. Um, and so I'd love to learn more about it. I think that's, like, going to be maybe the next step of yeah. my, like, figuring out my identity. Like yeah. what, and especially now that my grandparents are getting old. Maybe like it's an independent study you have to do next mm-hmm. semester. Yeah, my friend's actually doing a very interesting independent study along those on, on that because he also is um, like the grandchild of a atomic bomb survivor wow. yeah and there's going to be an, uh, an exhibition at the museum I don't know if you heard no um, there are letters between um, students in Hirosh- at a school in Hiroshima and a school I think in Arizona um, wow. during World War Two, and basically it's like these and it's artwork um, that were in these letters that um, were drawn by these survivors wow. Yeah. Who's curating that? Is your friend curating mm-hmm. it? My friend is curating it and I think um, another student in Asian Studies and I think the Asian Studies department is very involved in that. That's it's very interesting.
0: really interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. What do you wish your professors knew about you? <laughs> um, I think i kind of give off this illusion that I'm very high functioning and put together and like have my life in order um in that I'm happy. I think I'm I think if you ask people on campus like, "Oh, like what's Mitsuki like?" You'll be like, "Oh, she's like people will be like, "Oh, she's like, oh, she's like a happy person." Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish like my professors and maybe this includes people who aren't as close to me know like I want them to know that I'm not that like mm. I feel like I do give off this image that I am, but in fact I'm like struggling with all these parts of my identity like all the time and like that makes me anxious sad feel a lot of different ways that make me very unstable and actually not high functioning even though I give off that impression Mm. so um, and I think I've been very lucky to have really amazing professors who do check in on me um, and who do ask about um, things that may not just be relevant to classes but also like all of these other things that I think about also do affect me in class and affect the work that I do. So I've been very lucky to have really amazing professors who already kind of know, um, but for others, I wish they did know that more.
0: And is what you'd like from them is mostly just the checking in to see how you're doing? Um,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: like, so if they knew this, then yeah. what would you want them to do with that knowledge?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, because I feel like there's not really like a, I tell them something, and then it's like, okay, some action is done. It's really more just like, I tell them, they listen, provide support, maybe some advice, um, whether it be from personal experience or not. And I think that's why, like, two of my pretty much, like, mentors who are professors um, here in Asian studies, at least, are women of color. And I've really, really been able to connect with the two of them, because some shared experiences and also I feel like they kind of they understand what I'm going through as a student um, with like all the different identities that I have um, and so I've been really thankful for that and I wish more professors would just like would, would do that so it's 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 like we need more faculty of color I think in general agreed um, and more diverse faculty in general, not just faculty of color, but just diversity in academia. Agreed. Um, But also, I think, like, connecting with students, um, it really doesn't have, like, in, like, a one-on-one more personal way, I think. And I think that's what I wasn't getting from my other majors that I I was considering. Not to say that, you know, the professors in those fields are not good people or anything like that. It's just... I felt not finding like, the connection. Yeah, then. I wasn't finding the connection. And it was also more on me, where I wasn't, like, going office hours, and I wasn't, like, making that initiative myself. But also, it does help for the professor to be like, oh, so, mm. like, who are you? Like, you're mm. in my classroom, and I don't know anything about you. Yeah. But I want to take the time to, like, at least get to know you a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well, I have had so much fun getting to know more parts of you today. Yeah.
1: This a lot more fun. Yay! Yeah. All right. Yay. Okay. Thank That's you. it.